Uh, the theme today that I'll be sharing with you, the title that was given, A True Knowledge of Him or A True Knowledge of God, of course, that's where it all begins, is having that connection with Christ and allowing His love to shine through us in the work that He's called us to do. So that'll be the theme that I'll be sharing with you uh, a few moments this evening. But before we begin, I invite you just to bow your heads as we have a word of prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have of being able to come to you in prayer. We don't want to take for granted this wonderful opportunity that you've given us where we can speak to the creator of the universe. And Lord, as we open up your word, we invite the Holy Spirit to come and draw close to us, lead our hearts and our minds into a deeper and fuller understanding of your great love and uh, the work that you wish to do in each of our hearts and our lives as we trust in you. So bless our time together, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My key text that I thought we'd begin with is John chapter 17, verse 3, talking about a true knowledge of God. Jesus speaking, John 17, verse 3, he said, And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. The essence of everlasting life, the essence of living that eternal life, is knowing God, knowing Jesus, knowing the power of of His Spirit working within us and through us. Several years ago, a pastor friend of mine invited me to go with him on a Bible study. Uh, the person that he was studying the Bible with was a young man, and they had been looking at some of the basics of the Christian experience, the importance of prayer, the importance of Bible study, the importance of sharing your faith. The topic that they were looking at that evening together had to do with prayer. And so the pastor began by giving a number of verses illustrating the importance of prayer and how we have examples in the Bible of people who prayed. And about halfway through the Bible study, the young man turned to the pastor who was leading out in the Bible study and he asked the question, he said, I understand from Scripture that um, we need to pray. I also know that God knows everything that we ask before we ask. I also know that I need to be persistent in prayer. But he said, what really is the point? What is the focus of prayer? Do we just simply pray to tell God something that he already knows? Is that the goal? Do we just keep repeating ourselves? Is there merit in just repeating our requests continually before God? Why do we need to pray? What is the essence of prayer? I remember the pastor gave him an answer. I don't quite remember the answer he gave, but he said something along the lines of, well, we need to pray because it... It uh, prepares our hearts, and so it does, to receive the blessings that God wants to give us. Yes, prayer definitely does that. But I wasn't fully satisfied with the answer that he had given to this young man in the Bible study. So it got me thinking, why is it that we as Christians need to pray? There is a statement that Ellen White makes where she says, It is impossible for the soul to flourish while prayer is neglected. So it's very important. Prayer for the Christian is very important. But what is the focus of prayer? Why do we do it? What is the goal? What are we hoping to achieve as a result of prayer? What are we working towards? Well, after thinking about this for a while, and uh, he kept going with the Bible study, but I kept pondering this thought. What is the focus of prayer? What do we need to be praying for? What is the goal the thought struck me. Near the end of the Bible study, as we walked back to the car, I turned to the pastor. I was very excited. I said, I think, I think it's dawn on me why we need to pray. He kind of looked at me somewhat strangely. I said, I think I understand the focus of prayer. What is the purpose of prayer? Uh, 
And we started driving back to the town where we were staying, and I began sharing with him. The thought came to me, could it be that one of the aspects of prayer, one of the focuses of prayer, why prayer is so important is because prayer brings us into the presence of God. Now, we've been told that prayer does not bring God down to us, but it lifts us up into His presence. Why is prayer so important? Because prayer brings us into the presence of God. And why is it being in God's presence? Why is that so important for the Christian? Because it's in God's presence that we experience transformation. It's in the presence of God that we experience forgiveness. It's in His presence that our hearts are warmed by His Spirit. It's in His presence that our lives are being transformed like when Moses approached the burning bush and God said, remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. The purpose of prayer is to lift us into God's presence. There is power in the presence of God. Well, that really influenced my prayers. Not simply was I just to pray to do a task that I knew I had to do as a Christian to check that off the list. Yes, I spend time in prayer. But I began to pray for the purpose of entering into the presence of God. Again, Alan White says that prayer is opening our hearts up to God as we would to a friend. It's not just simply telling God something that he already knows, but it is a turning of our attention. It is seeking his presence. It's seeking his spirit. It's seeking for a sense of God's grace, God's power, God's love in our hearts, and in our lives. Now, sometimes in the busyness of our lives, it takes a little more time in prayer to sort of quiet all of the busyness and focus upon God, upon His Word, and upon what it is He wants to teach us in prayer. I found in my own prayer experience that sometimes, sort of in that uh, attitude of prayer, and as I begin to pray, it's as if I can sense God's presence quite quickly. There are other times that I need to spend some time in repentance and some time in reflection, in prayer, a humbling of my heart in order to enter into the presence of God, in order to sense His Spirit working in my heart and in my life, to sense His peace and His joy and His love. The purpose of prayer is not just to tell God what he already knows, but it's to enter into his presence so he can reveal to us what we need to know about him and about ourselves. In the book Christ Object Lessons, page 114, we have this statement. It says, The experimental knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ whom he has sent transforms man into the image of God. So knowing God, transforms us into God's image. And that's the whole purpose of prayer. That's the purpose of Bible study. It is to be transformed into the image of God. That's why God created us in the beginning. He made man in His image. Sin has marred the image of God in man. The purpose of us coming to God and spending time with God in prayer and in His Word, it is to be recreated, to be transformed back into that image that God originally purposed for us to be. I heard the story once of an evangelist that had a unique way of doing evangelism. He would go to an unentered territory and he would uh, connect with the children in that community 
and through the children he would reach the parents. And the way that he'd get the attention of the children, he had a cardboard beehive that he had made. And inside the cardboard beehive, he had little cardboard bees. And on each of the bees was an exhortation from Scripture, like be kind, be obedient, be forgiving, be loving. He had all of these different bees. So he'd have his cardboard beehive, and he'd go down to the park, he'd go to the beach a number of years ago, and the kids would be playing, and all the kids would gather around, and they'd say, what do you have, what do you have? And he'd call the kids and say, let me show you what I have. And he'd have his cardboard beehive, and then he'd put his hand in the little opening, and he would pull out one of these cardboard bees, and he'd read, be kind. And then he'd give the cardboard bee to one of the children. And then he'd talk a little bit about the importance of being kind. Reach his hand in the little beehive, and he'd pull out another bee, and it would be, be forgiving. And then he'd give that to one of the kids, and he'd explain a little bit about how we ought to forgive and the importance of forgiveness. And so he was doing this, and he had quite a group of children standing around, and, and they were listening and responding. And uh, he gave a cardboard bee to a little girl, and she kept looking at him, and he explained a little bit about the importance of being loving and so on. And then he went on, he was talking to one of the other kids. But then finally she raised her hand, and she said, Sir, I have a question. And he stopped. He said, Sure, I'd like to hear your question. What's your question? And she responded, and she said, Sir, you've told us that we need to be kind You've told us that we need to be loving, that we need to be obedient, but you haven't told us how. Now, unknowingly, that little girl put her finger squarely on one of the most important questions that anybody can ask. How can we actually be what God has asked us to be? How can we be kind? How can we be loving? How can we be the kind of Christian? that Christ wants us to be. You see, the gospel answers that question. The gospel reveals good news that, yes, we can be everything that God wants us to be. The key, however, to being what God wants us to be is knowing Him. That's why Jesus said in our scripture reading, John seventeen three, this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Again, in the book, Christ's Object Lessons, page 354, we have this statement. It says, The value of man is estimated in heaven according to the capacity of the heart to know God. This knowledge, that is the knowledge of God, is the spring from which flows all power. You know, we need the power of God working within us. Without the power of God, we can do nothing. Jesus said of yourselves, you can do nothing. Nothing. With me, all things are possible, but on your own, you can do nothing. The secret to experiencing the power of God working within us is coming to know Him. It is entering into communion with Him. It is to sense His presence. It's not to be a stranger to Jesus, but it's to know Jesus as your very best friend. That's the secret of spiritual power. This past week, I was on a plane flying to Charlotte and I was busy working on a sermon, and I was working on some PowerPoint presentations, and I was about halfway through the, uh, the PowerPoints, and the lady that was sitting next to me, unbeknownst to me, she was actually reading the PowerPoints as I was working on them, and finally she leaned over and she tapped me on the shoulder and she said, I just, I couldn't help, but I, I got to say something about that slide. And it just so happened that the slide that I was working on, on is, is the need for power, uh, the right kind of power, the power that God wants to give us, the power that comes through His Spirit as we humble our hearts. 
She says, you know what, I've noticed in my experience with my church, and she was actually, as we spoke a little later, I found out that she was from a charismatic church background. She was on her way to be a missionary in uh, Guatemala, and she happened to be sitting right next to me. And she said, you know, I can't agree. She had read a whole lot of slides before this one. She said, I can't agree with you more. It seems that everybody, especially religious people, she just started talking, especially religious people, they all want power. And she says, in my church, everybody is wanting power. But she says, I don't know about the kind of power that they want. They're always talking about miracles and having prosperity and having the blessing of God upon them. But she says, I don't know if that's really the kind of power. She says, I've been studying on my own. And she says, in my study, I've discovered that to God, it seems the fruit of the Spirit is far more important than the gifts of the Spirit. And she says, everybody in my church is talking about the gifts of the Spirit, but I think God wants us to have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. I said, well, I agree. Absolutely. And we got into this nice conversation. I said, have you ever heard about amazing facts? No, I never heard about amazing facts. I said, be sure to take a look at the website when you come back home. That was encouraging. God is moving upon the hearts of people, and people sense a need of something more in their life. It's not just the external. It's not just what you see or a profession of faith. But people need an experience. They need the power of the Spirit within them. They need to know God. And that's really the essence of living a victorious Christian life. It's coming to know Jesus. Several years ago, we had a small group Bible study, and we had a lady that was in our group Bible study. We were reading through the book of John. We were taking it verse by verse, and we were studying together and discussing. In our Bible study, we came to John chapter 3, the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. And she was listening, and she was asking questions as we went through the study. But we came to the part of the scripture where Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus what it is to be born again. And Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was at this point that she raised her hand and she said, you know, I kind of wonder about this verse. She says, in my study of scripture, uh, the serpent is often associated with Satan. It's associated with sin. And the lamb is associated with Christ. The lamb is associated with purity. She said, why is it that Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Well, we went back to the story. You can read in numbers of how the children of Israel, as they were traveling through the wilderness, they rebelled against God, and God's protection was withdrawn from the camp of Israel. The Bible describes these fiery serpents that entered the camp and began to bite the people. Many of the people died, and they cried out, and so God said to Moses, Make this bronze serpent and put it up on a pole. And tell the people if they had looked to the serpent, they would be healed. Well, then we went to the verse in the New Testament that speaks of where Jesus became sin for us. He was condemned because of our sins that we might receive his righteousness. And what a neat experience it was as we were talking about this and sharing about what Jesus has done for us. You could begin to see how The light bulb was sort of going on above her head. She began to realize what Christ has done in order to save us. She began to understand somewhat of the cost of the cross. That Jesus didn't just die as a result of physical suffering, but Jesus bore the curse for us. He became sin for us so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be cleansed. What a powerful experience that was. When we come to know 
the love of God as revealed in Jesus, as revealed at the cross, that transforms us. That brings us into fellowship with God. That's the catalyst for experiencing God's spirit, God's power. I was reading in the book Steps to Christ on that beautiful chapter called Faith and Acceptance. I think most of us are familiar with the little book. In that chapter, Ellen White begins to describe how that once we are convicted by the Spirit of our need, we realize that our hopes and our resolutions are like ropes of sand. The more we try to overcome, it seems the more we fail. Our best promises prove to be worth nothing. And she describes somebody who is under conviction and they sense and they see their need, that they need some help, they need power, they need something. And then after she, she describes our condition, she goes on to give the solution. Now, the first time I read that in uh, that chapter, I thought the answer, if we sense our need and we need help, would be power. You think, well, what you need is power. But she doesn't say what you need is power. She says, if you sense your need, what you need, quote, is heaven's peace and forgiveness and love in the soul. Money cannot buy it. Intellect cannot procure it. You can never hope by your own efforts to obtain it, but God offers it to you without price, without money. It is yours if you but reach up and grasp it. You see, often as Christians, as Adventists, we think in terms of power. We need power. We need strength. We need willpower to overcome. We need to try a little bit harder. But the real key to power and living a victorious life is experiencing the peace and the love and the forgiveness that God wants to give us. That's where it begins. That's what it is to know God. It is to receive His grace, to experience His forgiveness. That empowers us, that transforms us, that molds us into the image of God. One of my favorite verses is Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories, glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. If you want to glory in something, glory in those quiet moments alone with Jesus. Glory in the peace that passes all understanding. Glory in the forgiveness that though your sins be as scarlet, they are as white as snow. Glory in the fact that God loves you and that His grace is extended to you, that you know God. If you want to glory, glory in that. Jesus said in John chapter 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit without the vine, so you cannot bear fruit without me. Paraphrasing. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. Our only hope of revealing the fruit of the Spirit in our life is staying connected to Christ, being connected to the vine. Without Him, we can do nothing. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Revelation for just a moment. And I'd like to take a closer look at a well-known passage that describes the condition of God's people in the last days. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3 and let's look at Christ's message to the church of Laodicea, building on the need of knowing God and what that is. 
Revelation chapter 3, and if you look in verse 14, these are familiar words. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you or spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I've become wealthy, I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel of you, buy of me gold, refining the fire, that you may be rich. What is that gold? What is the most precious thing that we, as a Christian, can have? And nobody tells us it's faith and love. The love of God in our hearts. Buy of me gold, refining the fire that you might be rich. White raiment. What is the white raiment? It is Christ's righteousness. Both imputed and imparted. You see, Christ's righteousness isn't just a cloak that we wear to cover our sins, but Christ's righteousness is the cure for our sins, for His righteousness changes us from the inside out. A white raiment. That the shame of your nakedness does not appear. And then anoint your eyes with eye salve that you can see. That spiritual discernment. That is the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So Jesus is speaking to his church today. A church that is in a spiritually lukewarm condition. She thinks she is rich, increased with goods, that she has need of nothing but in truth, she's wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says, you need, you need to know me. You need to know my love. You need to have that faith refined in the fire. You need righteousness, my righteousness, both imputed and imparted. And you need the Holy Spirit. You need spiritual discernment. So the question then is, how do we obtain these things? We realize our need. We realize that our experience is not everything that it could be or that it should be, that we don't know God the way that we should know Him, what's the solution? What's the answer? The answer is given to us right here in verse 20. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in unto him and I will dine with him and he with me. Now, I want you to notice here in verse 20, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Now, how does Jesus knock at the heart's door? Through that still, small voice. Through our conscience, Jesus knocks. The Spirit knocks at the heart's door. But notice, not only is Jesus knocking at the heart's door, he goes on to say, if anyone hears my voice. So there is knocking, but there is also calling. Jesus is speaking to us. The Spirit is knocking at the heart's door, but Jesus is speaking to us through His Word, the voice of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, open the door and let me come in. If you open the door, I will come and I will dine with you. Now, of course, back in Bible times, to enter into somebody's home and eat with them, one of the articles of food that you're almost guaranteed to be served was bread. Bread in the Bible, of course, symbolizes the Word of God. Jesus said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness, but I am the bread that's come down from heaven. So Jesus says, if you invite me to come in, I will dine with you. In your reading of the Word, you'll see Jesus revealed. 
He will make himself known to us as we enter into fellowship with him, as we make that a priority, as we seek his presence, as we seek to know him through the word, we enter into fellowship with Jesus. Our lives are transformed. We are molded into his image. You see, I don't think the greatest need of the church today is a new revelation of some new light or new truth. I think God has blessed us with enough truth to get us all the way into the kingdom. But I think what we need more than anything else as Adventists today is a deeper love and a fresh experience with Jesus. We need Jesus. We need to know Jesus. Jesus wants to give us gold refining the fire. He wants to give us His righteousness. He wants to give us ISAF or spiritual discernment. But it all comes from Jesus. It comes from knowing Jesus. Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees, You search the Scriptures, for in them He think He have eternal life, but these are they which testify of Me. But you won't come to Me. The religious leaders, they had a great understanding of Scripture. They understood doctrine. But they missed out on the one to whom all those doctrines pointed. And up in space, floating around us, is a remarkable uh, piece of machinery. If you can call it that, it is the Hubble telescope. Now, you could probably study so much about this telescope, about the way it's powered using solar energy, about how the lenses move, how it can move itself to focus in different areas of, of the universe. You can study all about the Hubble telescope, but you'll never really get to experience its beauty until you actually see through it and see what that telescope is revealing about the creation of God. So it is with the Scriptures. You can study about all of the doctrines in the Bible. You can understand the prophecies of Scripture. You can understand the truths that's revealed in the Bible, but you'll never really experience the true beauty of the Bible until you see the one who is revealed in the Bible. Until you look through these doctrines and you see the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath. The one who is the resurrection and the life. The one who has come to create within us a new heart and put a new spirit within him. What we need is a fresh revelation of Jesus. In the book Desire of Ages, we have this statement. She says, in order to serve him aright, we must be born of the divine spirit. This will purify our hearts and renew our minds, giving us a new capacity for knowing and loving God. It'll give us a willing obedience to all of his requirements. This is true worship. True worship is a willing obedience to do those things that are pleasing in God's sight because we know God, because we've experienced His grace, because it's our true desire to please Him. We are not just simply trying to do the right thing in order to be saved, in order to go to heaven, but we are trying to do the right thing because we are motivated by love for God because of His love for us. We want to please Him. We want to make Him happy. That's evidence of a genuine transformation. That's what it is to know God, to experience His love. You know, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, 
to the Jew first and also for the Greek. For therein, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And Paul begins by saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why was Paul not ashamed of the gospel? Because Paul had experienced the power of the gospel in his own life. He had seen what the gospel can do in the lives of others. He had seen the power of God's grace, the power of God's love. How sinners are transformed into saints. How their lives can be filled with purpose and meaning and and joy. He experienced that in his life. And he had seen that in the lives of others. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not embarrassed about the gospel. I know it's real. I know it's powerful. I've seen what it can do. It reveals the righteousness of Jesus. Not only does it reveal to us what Christ has done to save us, but it also allows us to experience what Christ wants to do in us to transform us. There are two interesting phrases that Paul likes to use. The one is that we as Christians are in Christ Jesus. The theological term there would be justification. That if we are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. We are covered with his robe of righteousness. But there is another phrase that Paul likes to use, and that is that Christ Jesus is in us. Christ is in you. Christ is in me. That's sanctification. Not only are we covered with Christ's righteousness when we are in Jesus, but when we're in Jesus, Jesus is in us. And when Jesus is in us, when we know the presence of God, when we're experiencing God, when we're allowing God's grace to work within us, and we have the love of Jesus in our hearts, Christ is dwelling within us. And then our lives are transformed and changed. Then we grow into the image of God. Then our lives can be a genuine witness to the world of what God's grace can do. I had a church member, he came to me one day and he said, you know, I'm, I'm really convicted that I need to do something for uh, my brother. Now, uh, his brother's name was Pat, and Pat was a very interesting character. He had a reputation in the town that we were living in at the time. Uh, he was a tattoo artist and a drug dealer, and he had a gang. And uh, all, every, all the cops were looking for him. It just seemed that he was one step ahead of them. They were always trying to catch him, but... Uh, the cops would come to his house and somebody would call and he'd jump over the fence and he'd go to somebody else's house. So he was quite the character. But his brother was a member of our church and he really had a burden. He believed in the power of the gospel and he figured that God could still do something for Pat. And so he'd try to witness and he'd go talk to him and Pat would always get upset and say, you know, if you're going to come tell me about God, I don't want to know anything about God. I, I don't want to go to your church. It's just a bunch of hypocrites there. But Rob would go and he'd try and witness to his brother. And finally one day we were going to do an evangelistic series. And Rob had an idea. He said, ah, here's my opportunity. So he went to his brother Pat and he said, we're doing these meetings at our church. And if you would come to the first three meetings, I won't bother you anymore about religion. I won't talk to you about Jesus. You know, I won't invite you to come to my church anymore. Just come to the first three meetings of this evangelistic series. Well, of course, Pat said, no, I'm never going to your church. I'm never going to go there. A bunch of hypocrites. But then Rob said, come on, just, just do this for me. Just come to the first three of these meetings. Finally, Pat said, okay, I suppose I can come. Just three, just three. Okay, I can come. Well, the day of the evangelistic meeting came along, and of course, Pat had forgotten about what he had said. 
And so his brother went over and reminded him and said, remember, we got those meetings at the church and you said you're going to come. And Oh, I suppose I will. So, all right, first meeting, he comes. And he marches all the way down to the front of the church. And uh, he sits down and the meeting begins. And throughout the whole first presentation, Pat is looking at his watch and he's huffing and he's puffing and he's sighing under his breath. And finally, at the end of the meeting, he gets up And he says, well, I'm never coming back, real loud. And he marches out of the church. And it's as if you can almost hear everybody in the church go, glad he's gone. Well, his brother, Rob, didn't give up. And he went the next day and said, remember we have an agreement. You only came to one. There's still two more meetings to go. You've got to come. You've got to come. So he was able to finally convince his brother to come back for the second night. Same thing happened. Pat came in. He sat down in the front again. He kind of huffed and puffed, looked at his watch. But every now and again, he would look up and he'd listen for a few moments. And then he'd go back to doing whatever he was doing. Well, he got up at the end of that meeting and he left. Third meeting again with much coaxing, he finally came. And that was the presentation of the power of the gospel. And it was one of these net meetings. And I think the evangelist at the time was Mark Finley. And he was busy preaching on the screen about the power of God's grace. He told the story of uh, an old rugged cross on a hill called Calvary. He spoke about how much God loves us and how much He wants to save. And that no one has gone so far that they can't find forgiveness or cleansing in Jesus. Well, at the end of the presentation, he made an appeal. And he said, you know, we have people joining us across the country or watching on satellite. Wherever you are, if you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart and, and you need forgiveness, you need power, you need healing, I want to invite you to respond to this appeal. And he continued for a few moments. He kept going with, with, with his appeal. Finally, he said, if, if you want to give your life to Jesus, wherever you are, I want to invite you, please, just, just to stand to your feet. And Rob was sitting next to his brother Pat, and he didn't even think that Pat was actually listening. But suddenly... He began to feel the whole pew shake. Pat was a very big guy. And he looked over at his brother, and Pat had his face in his hands. And he was in tears. And when the call was made, if you want to give your life to Jesus, you want a fresh start, I'm going to invite you just to come forward right now. To the amazement of the church, Pat got up, stepped forward. There he stood before the screen, looking up, tears just streaming down his cheeks. Somehow... The Holy Spirit had gotten through to Pat. The presentation of the love of Jesus, the power of the gospel, had somehow reached him. At the end of that evangelistic series, I had the opportunity to marry Pat and his uh, girlfriend uh, and baptize them all on the same day. He got involved in the church. Just an incredible transformation that took place in his life. About a year and a half after that, I was going to go do an evangelistic series in India. And if anybody has been to India before doing evangelism, you probably can identify with the experience. Often there, when you go and you're doing preaching and teaching, uh, a lot of the folks following the meeting will come to you and they'll want you to pray for them. You don't understand what they say, but you know what they want because they'll just take your hand and they'll put it upon their heads and you know they want, you've got to pray for them. Uh, especially some of the lower castes, as they call it, some of the working uh, groups, they're the ones that respond and come out to the meetings. And they want you to pray for them. Well, I, uh, I'd been to India before on several evangelistic trips, and I knew 
uh, it's important to have somebody keep an eye on your equipment when you do these meetings because uh, even though it's an evangelistic series, projectors seem to disappear and laptops can disappear and so on. And I thought, I need somebody to watch my equipment. So I said, Pat, would you be interested in coming along and taking care of the equipment because he's such a big guy and you, nobody would mess with him? He said, yeah, I'd love to come. So Pat came with us and uh, he was taking care of the equipment. I remember at the end of one meeting, I was busy talking to my translator and I looked over and I noticed that the projector was there and the laptop was there, but I didn't see Pat. And I thought, well, that's strange. He's very good in taking care of the equipment, but here it is. I mean, it could disappear. Somebody could take it. So I began to look. It was a big group of people that had come out every night. And I began to look to see if I could see Pat. And what had happened is Pat had gone back to the car to get the bag for the projector. And on his way back from the car, he had been surrounded by this group of women and they wanted him to pray. And I stood on the stage and I looked and I saw Pat with his hands outstretched on the heads of these women, tattoos on his arms, with his face turned to heaven. And he was earnestly interceding God on their behalf. And knowing where Pat came from, I said to myself, there is a God in heaven that transforms people's lives. And I said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. You see, Paul experienced that power in his life. That's why he had such boldness in sharing that power with others. That's why he could say, I believe in the cross. I'll know nothing more except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's, it's the power of the gospel. We need to experience that power. If we're going to be effective witnesses and be of service for Jesus, we need to know the power of God. We need to know God. We need to come in fellowship with Him. Again, in the book uh, Christ Object Lessons, we have this statement. It says, True obedience is the outworking of a principle within. It springs from a love for righteousness, the love of the law of God. The essence of righteousness is loyalty to our Redeemer. This will lead us to do the right thing because it is right. And because it is pleasing to God. So the motivation for doing the right thing needs to be love for God. Not just out of a sense of duty. Oh, I have to do this because I know I need to do this. But we want to do the right thing because we love Jesus. Our desire is to please Him. It's because we know Him. We fellowship with Him. We've experienced His grace. We know His power in our lives. And we want to make that power known. You know, friends, as we, over the next few days, are going to be talking about uh, the importance of sharing our faith and being trained and equipped to do that, let's not forget the basics. The basics, it's knowing Jesus. It's coming to the foot of the cross every day. It's receiving that forgiveness that money cannot buy, intellect cannot procure. You can never hope by your own efforts to obtain it, but God gives it to you as a gift. Every day receiving that love, that forgiveness, that power in your heart. That's the secret of living a victorious Christian life. It's coming to know Him. It's knowing His love. I like the poem. There is a man in yonder glory I have loved for many years. He has cleared my guilty conscience and banished all my fears. He is coming in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And when the dead in Christ arise... To this world I will say goodbye. Are you ready, Christian, ready for the shout, the trump, the voice? Will his coming make you tremble 
or cause you to rejoice? Are you daily walking with him, taking to him all your cares? Are you living so close to heaven that when he comes, he will take you there? And Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou sent. May that be our focus. May that be our commitment to know God, to know Jesus. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the wonderful privilege that we have to know you. Oh Lord, the angels in your presence continually cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And Father, you are high and lifted up. Your glory fills all of heaven. And yet you invite us as sinful human beings to enter into your presence. For we are your children. And Father, it's your joy to encircle us with your arms of love. It is your joy to lift us up, to forgive us, to cleanse us, to transform us, to empower us. Oh Lord, sometimes we, we forget that without you we can do nothing. Our only hope of living a victorious Christian life is staying connected to you. It is in spending time in your presence. Is coming to you in prayer. It is allowing you to reveal to us our need of you. Too often, Lord, we are guilty of comparing ourselves amongst ourselves, thinking that somehow we are more righteous than another. But, Father, really, true righteousness is in you. And you are the source of all right doing. And so, Lord, at the beginning of this GYC program, we want to just recommit ourselves to you. Father, we want you to work within us, both to will and to do according to your good pleasure. Father, we want our hearts genuinely to be filled and overflowing with a deep appreciation and a deep love for our Savior. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity for us to just turn our attention towards you over the next few days. We ask that you'd speak to us individually and that you draw each of us closer to you. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer. We commit ourselves into your keeping. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.